Nate Boyer is what many would deem a renaissance man. The former active duty Green Beret is also a world traveler, a philanthropist, and community leader, and a professional athlete as a former member of the Seattle Seahawks. After joining the U.S. Army in 2005, Boyer earned a coveted Green Beret in December of 2006. He was stationed in Okinawa throughout most of 2007 with 1st Special Forces Group. In April of 2008, Nate was deployed with ODA-0324 of the 10th Special Forces Group to Iraq and served his tour of duty until January of 2009. He then served tours in Afghanistan from April to August in 2013 and from April to August in 2014. In addition to his deployments to Iraq and Afghanistan, Boyer completed a number of JSET Joint Command Exchange Training missions to Israel, Bulgaria, and Greece. Let's get after it. We have a professional obligation for the ethical application of, uh, of force. You can have a growth mindset where you're always achieving for better. This is about us, about our guard, our reputation. We are all in this together. Outthink, outmaneuver, and outfight the enemy. If you wage war, do it energetically and with severity. This is the only way to make it shorter and consequently less inhumane. All right, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Raven Report podcast. I'm Chaplain Sanders, and today I have uh, Nate Boyer on the line. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm all right. Yeah, why don't you get us started by just kind of uh, introducing yourself? Uh, yeah, my name, my name is Nate. I, you know, I, uh, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was actually born in uh, Tennessee, in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, and then grew up in the bay you know big sports fan as a kid uh played pretty much every sport except football and uh and then graduated high school and uh, didn't have any scholarship offers or anything like that i wasn't actually that great of an athlete uh just a hard worker uh moved down to san diego worked on a fishing boat for a bit and then eventually moved up to los angeles with an interest in uh, film and television uh and then 9 11 happened and it kind of put me on a different trajectory so uh ended up uh, eventually joining the military, joining the army. Um, uh, through the 18 X-ray contract, I uh, became a special forces soldier and uh, served with the Green Berets for uh, roughly 10 years. First, uh, first half that time on active duty, second half that time uh, in the Texas National Guard. And uh, while I was in the guard, I, I went to school at the University of Texas and walked onto the football team, sort of fulfilled that lifelong dream of wanting to play and and uh, found a spot on the on the on the team as a long snapper, and uh, got an opportunity to play at the next level after that with the Seattle Seahawks just for a very brief time. And then when that ended, I, I moved uh, back to Los Angeles, did an internship uh, in that film and television uh, in that world that I was interested in way back when, and uh, that led to uh, you know to sort of where we are today um, with. Uh, directing my first film which is called uh, mvp and it's based on a, a charity that i co-founded with jay glazer that brings together combat vets former pro athletes um and that uh, yeah that film's out now people do want to see it and learn more about the organization uh, merging vets and players um it's it's on amazon prime apple tv and showtime and all that and uh and so that's sort of the, the path i'm on now you know continuing to work with vets and athletes uh, through MVP and other organizations, and also continue to fell to fulfill uh, and pursue that that own that interest of mine and and that that passion of mine, I guess to uh, to tell our stories, you know, to tell uh, to tell stories of 
of, of both those that uh, served in the military and, and, and other stories as well. But you know, those are just, that's something that I'm very connected to because of my time there and kind of feel like I understand and I'm around so many of those folks in, in the veteran community. Yeah, that's a pretty uh, compelling story. I, I got you, uh, you raised a bunch of questions on, on my end. Um, have you read the book uh, Range by a guy named Epstein? I have not. So the uh, the so what of that is is uh, Malcolm Gladwell came out with a book uh, a while back about uh, how to how how do do people master things. So he uses like uh, Tiger Woods as a type case and says like you know he had ten thousand hours at uh, swinging a golf club right. and therefore he became a master. So Epstein uh, basically tries to be the uh, I don't know that he he intentionally tries to be, but he basically kind of like throws all that away and says like no. The um the the true key to developing somebody is to give them a lot of range. Hence the name of the book is to to you know help them sample a large variety of of things inside of a, a particular discipline, and then they you know they kind of you know progress from there. So you're saying that whenever you were a kid, um, you actually played a lot of different sports, right? Yes. Yeah, I played baseball, basketball, soccer. You know. I, Kind of the the, the basic uh, American sports that we all uh, that we often play as kids, but uh, but not football. Right. So interesting. And then you become an a, a pro athlete in football. Yeah, I mean, it was just like a part of it was a regret of not playing. Um, right. And also, it's my favorite sport. You know, I I, uh, I always loved watching it. Uh, you know, just playing backyard football with friends. You know, with a nerf nerf ball when you're a kid and all that. And um. And as I grew older and and the sport continued to grow in popularity, um, not that it wasn't popular when I was a kid, but uh, it just sort of cannibalized all the other ones, you know, uh, right. uh, you know baseball and, and basketball are still, yeah, obviously quite popular. Soccer's growing popular uh, in the mm-hmm. States too, but football just is, it's, is by far the most uh, popular sport in, in the United States as, from, as far as fans and all that. And it just, uh, I kind of, was part of that as well i just really loved it and um you know my my favorite team growing up was the 49ers because i was growing up in the bay and they were really good when i was a kid and i mean they're good again now but they were and they weren't very good for a long time and now they're uh sort of back but um right. but yeah just just fun to, to like right. i had this 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 passion desire to, to just go out and try and do it it was like actually the military was over. I'm like, well, you know, worst worst case scenario, I get cut, but I might as well just go for it. Yeah, right. So, like, do you feel like uh, playing all those different sports when you were younger helped you uh, whenever it came time to you know? For walk sure. On? How how so? Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, well, there's from a, from just a basic uh, mechanics standpoint, um, a lot of sports are, are very similar. I mean, if you're if you're swinging a baseball bat or or a tennis racket, it's a completely different game. You know, but the mechanics are very similar. Um, so that sort of athleticism, uh, is, it really translates. I think the one sport I played growing up that that uh, translated the most to football was probably basketball, and it was because of yeah, because you know your that 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 defensive stance and posture, right? If you're playing defense, you've got you know your 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 uh, your knees bent, and you're kind of uh, um, in that boxing stance, you know, that fighter's position. That's very similar in football. It's very similar in basketball. Like that's kind of that ready position. If you go out, if you watch a game and you see the defensive backs or the, the linebackers, you know, that's 
before the ball is snapped, that's sort of the posture they're they're in, you know, running backs as well, even receivers. It's all kind of that similar um, um, position of, of prepared, you know, prepared for the ball to come your way or the, the, the individual to come your way or whatever. And I guess it's the same in baseball too. I should say that, you know, I mean, look at the, you, you watch a baseball game. If you go to the next time you go to the ballpark, you know, watch the, watch the right fielder where the ball probably goes three times a game. Um, he'll be standing there between pitches, but as the pitcher gets on the rubber and gets ready to pitch the ball, he gets down in that crouch position, kind of gets ready. Infielders the same way, you know, they, uh, they, 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 they get in that ready position. It's that same type of stance. And then when something happens, that quick twitch, you know, getting out of your stance and moving towards the action, uh, that, that's that's very similar and and uh and i think uh you just once you kind of learn some of that and you learn it in the weight room as well uh you know that, that those those similar movements they all kind of translate right now that, that makes sense so like by having kind of like a variety of the, these different like uh i guess like kinesthetic activities um you just kind of grow more in your i guess like habits or maybe like uh like kind of like body knowledge so that way then you can employ it more effectively to whenever you decide to focus it on something is that my hearing you right yeah exactly yeah That's exactly right yeah okay so um yeah so let, let's kind of go back to like your career so like you grew up in the bay and then um you don't immediately uh go to college or or join the army directly uh yeah i i didn't uh I, I enrolled in junior college, taking some uh, fire science classes. I thought I maybe wanted to be a firefighter at the time down in San Diego. And then I started working on the fishing boat and I was making decent money and I wasn't quite sure I was ready to grow up and, you know, being a firefighter, it's like joining the military. It's a commitment and a very serious, important job. Right. And I just, I don't think I was ready for that kind of commitment and that kind of uh, responsibility at 18. Uh, and that's just me. Everybody's different. They're on a different timeline, but I was always kind of a late bloomer, you know? So for me, it was, uh, um, whether I was growing or, um, kind of trying something out, it always kind of took me a minute to believe I was, you know, capable of it. <clears throat> and so I didn't, uh, I kind of backed away from that and, and yeah, did the fishing boat gig and kind of did some other things and then eventually circled back and, and ended up being the military after nine 11 had happened instead of firefighting, but I just sort of decided to, to go into, but, uh, but yeah, I just, I didn't know what else I wanted to study. I just, for me, I, I just, I wasn't ready, you know, for college either. Everybody's got, like I said, a different timeline and, and, and also, you know, college isn't for everybody. It just kind of depends. Um, and at the time I just didn't think it was for me until later. Right. Yeah, you, you know, you really ought to read that book range because it's really interesting to hear you say that because he, he comes up with a point uh, in the book that like, hey, look, these guys that have a wide range, they are all late bloomers. And so and he he has a bunch of different examples that I can't bring to mind uh, up at the top of my head. But you always kind of contrast that with Gladwell's use of uh, Tiger Woods, that Tiger Woods from you know the time he was like a toddler, his dad was kind of aiming him towards golf and uh, and he was getting all these hours in. And uh, so Gladwell's like, that's how you make a, a, a prodigy. But like, uh, you know, like you being able to walk on to uh the, to Texas and then turn around and then play in the Seahawks and then perform in in uh in, in special forces, it kind of like uh substantiates Epstein's point that hey, look, these guys that are uh that are of a wide range, they take more time to kind of figure out what they like. Whenever they do figure out what they like, they take all that experience and bring it to bear on that. So that's that's kind of interesting right. to see that correlation. 
That is interesting. I wouldn't say Tiger Woods a late bloomer, though. <laughs> no, 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 no. Like so, Gladwell said, like you know, like he was a that yeah, he was a prodigy from day one. You know, that that uh, the late bloomers definitely come from the people that that have a bigger sampling. What he calls or Epstein will call a sampling period. Um, but yeah, right. so uh, so like uh, tell me about uh, working on the fishing boats, and and I asked for a very specific reason is that we actually have a lot of uh, commercial fishermen like in our formation or people that have traveled up to Alaska. Because the money is good and, and working on those boats is, uh, is something that's kind of attracted our soldiers. It'd be interesting to hear your perspective on it. Yeah, I mean, it was it was great. It was it was very different than Alaska, I'm sure, because we were down in San Diego and it was a charter boat. So it was like people were out there sport fishing. Oh. Um, yeah, so it wasn't commercial. It was uh, it was sport fishing. So it would be about 40 people on this boat. The boat was probably 100 foot long or so um we'd leave the night before we'd go out you know typically sometimes 100 miles out uh wow and you know out in the, into 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 mexican waters typically and uh there's the coronado islands out there and some other stuff that we would sort of bypass on the way uh and then we're you know we're we're we're, we're baiting hooks uh while the they've got the uh, the lures trolling off the back of the boat and then when we get into a school of tuna, um, you know, it's typically albacore, bluefin, um, and sometimes yellowtail as well. Then uh, everybody, you know, throws their baited uh, hook into the water and lets it drop, you know, far right. deep, some, you know, 60 feet, sometimes 120 feet others. And there's, uh, and you're kind of just waiting. And, and then it gets exciting when, you know, you got five people have a fish on at the same time. And, you know, you're trying to route people over and under each other and yeah. figure all that out. And then they uh, they get the, the fish close to the boat. And then I'm leaning over the railing with the gaff. And, uh, you know, it's just a, basically a long bamboo rod with a big hook at the end. And, you know, you, you, you gaff the fish and pull it into the boat, and throw it in the cooler. And then, uh, uh, you know, later on, uh, when we catch our limits and we're heading back, you know, we're, we're, we're filleting the fish up on the top deck and, um, you know, however people want it, if they want to cut into steaks or fillets or whatever. And, right. uh, and then, and sometimes they just want to take it home whole, you know, sometimes they just want it gilled and gutted and that's it. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of a, and then, then you clean up, you know, you try to sleep a little bit, uh, but you start fishing. Like I said, you leave out there the night before we start fishing, you know, four thirty in the morning. Um, and then when you take the boat ride back, maybe you get a little nap in, uh, if you're lucky, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's 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 hard work, but it's fun, you know. When when it's all done and everyone's off the boat, then you got to clean it, and there's blood and guts everywhere, and you're hosing it off and bleaching it and doing that whole thing, and right. get ready to go out again. It seems like a pretty intense environment. Yeah, it definitely, definitely was. Um, but it was, you know, but it's fun. I mean, people are out there to have fun. People that go right. on these trips, so that's nice. It's 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 better than working at the DMV where it's like nobody wants to be there. You know what I mean? These people <laughs> right. are all they all paid to go on this trip and they're excited. What's right. tough is when you don't catch any fish. That's when it's not fun. Um, right. You know, you're coming back and, and you caught a total of five all day. Uh, you got some bummed out fishermen, but that's just that that's what happens sometimes. You know, it's it's, it's yeah. not common, but it does happen when you just get skunked out there and it's that's no fun. That's the nature of fishing. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, what is it about, uh, like, like, so, like, you you graduate high school, and that's that's your choice, is that you're gonna you're gonna go, uh, you know, do that. Like, what what about it attracted you? Um, 
you know, I, 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 I kind of fell into it. I mean, I moved down there with a couple of buddies from high school to San Diego and, um, we, uh, we just, they were taking uh one of them at least was taking some firefighting classes as well. And that was what, you know, he wanted to do. And, and I thought that was interesting. I was like, Oh, that sounds cool. I'll do that. Cause I just didn't really know what else I was going to do. And, um, and then I was just went down to the docks one day and I was like, man, it'd be, it'd be fun to work on one of those, uh, boats, you know, and probably makes decent money for an 18 year old kid. And, uh, you know, I don't really want to, uh, you know, work at the grocery store necessarily. So, right. Uh, right. I just, uh, I just asked around, I worked for free the first day, kind of talked my way into the job, even though I didn't have much experience. I mean, I'd gone fishing before, right. but I hadn't, uh, I hadn't worked in a boat like that, but it was just going down there and talking to people really. Right. So what year was that? That was, uh, I moved down there in 1999 after I graduated high school. So I was, I worked on the boat until 2000. Okay. And then, yeah. so, uh, so where are you whenever 9-11 hits? LA. I was in Los Angeles when that okay. happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what, what was that like for you? Because obviously, like, it, it moved you to a point where, like, you're like, well, I want to join the Army. Right. Yeah, it, uh, it was, it was, I mean, I remember my mom calling me at, gosh, it was probably five or six in the morning, had to be, um, because it had already, you know, the towers had already been hit. Uh, but she called me and I woke up and, you know, she just, she just told me to turn the TV on. So I flipped it on and all of a sudden I just, you know, I just see these two towers engulfed in flames. It was very bizarre, you know, and, and uh, uh, it took me a while to kind of, for it to register and realize what I was looking at there. And, and once it did, it was just like, Thing, the uh, this, uh how, how could this happen in our country? How could this happen in 2001? Just didn't know what to think. And uh, the, my first thought wasn't join the military, I'll say that it was like try to figure out, you know, try to understand how this could happen. Like, what, what, what is it? What would drive people to to want to do this? And you know, what's going on in the world that you don't really understand? And, Right, which is still a lot, but I that that uh, I ended up doing some relief work over in the Darfur after that. And, oh, really? uh, yeah, that's what that's what actually brought me, drove drove me to the military. Um, oh, well, so yeah. I, I I didn't go right away, but I went I went to I did. It took me a few years. It took me about three years to eventually do that. I, I traveled before that. I'd save my money up and go backpack in Central America or in Europe or something like that, and just explore. And eventually, I uh, yeah, I wound up in the Darfur. Wow! So, like, um, so who who did you work with? Like, what was that like? Uh, I, I mean, I I wasn't with an organization. Uh, technically, <laughs> I went on my own. I just kind of flew over there and figured it out when I got there. But I worked with Doctors Without Borders and Child Fund and Catholic Relief Services. Okay. Those were the three main organizations over there at the time. So you gotta just show up and like I'm here to help put me to work. Pretty much, yeah. And it didn't go well right away because I, you know, I wasn't supposed to be there. But there was right. just so much red tape, um, and <laughs> you know, I was young. I was, I mean, I was 23 at that time, um, and I was in good health. And I just wanted to. They needed people. They were understaffed. I'd read all about it, but it was like this whole process. I mean, you get it. You're in the military. There's a lot yeah. of processes and paperwork and. 
things like that. So I had to, I had to do that. Um, or I, I, they, they said that I had to do it, you know, to go through this specific way. And, and I, and I didn't have a college degree and they said, that's a bit of a hindrance. They're like, what are you going to do to help? And I'm like, I, I, you guys need help building the campsites. Don't you like those kind of things? Like, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, whatever's needed. And so once I was there, I was put to work and absolutely, uh, um, it was it was amazing, you know, and, and and it was it was great to be able to to do some of that and, and participate. Right. So, like, how does that like build you into the point that you're just like, I need to go home and and join the army? Uh, I just feeling very fortunate to have lived here, and you know, definitely we take a lot for granted here. Um, mm-hmm. It's a great place, but you know, most of the world is not like this. Right. Um, and I think just wanting to fight for those that can't fight for themselves all that really motivated me i mean they were just such generous giving people they don't even have anything to really give and they don't expect anything in return like that kind of non-transactional way of living was very appealing right no that makes sense like it resonates with me deeply it's like whenever i was younger i actually had uh, done some work in uh, south africa myself and i like I, always stands out to me that i walk into this uh this one family's house it's like a it's like a she's probably mid-30s early 40s her husband's about the same age and she's showing me around her house and uh, she's got like nine kids and their floor was dirt but it was swept so clean that it might as well have been concrete like you literally could have eaten off this dirt floor I just remember, and she was like so proud of this house, which is basically made out of stuff that like I would make would have would not have made a deer stand out of you know at home, and uh, it was it was really kind of interesting to me. So then you come coming back, you kind of look at you know the way that that uh, we live, and then you start to see like like waste and stuff like that, and it, it kind of compels you to live a little bit differently. And then at the same time, totally. it gives you a, a whole lot of gratitude for what you actually have, and, and definitely has been a motivator for me uh, over the past almost two decades of military service. So that makes a lot of sense to me. So, right. um, yeah. So like, uh, talk me through like, uh, what was like joining the army like uh, for you? What was it? You said, what was it like joining? Like, yeah. Like, like, what, or you, yeah. What, 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 you know, what was it like? Like when did like, you know, you go to the recruiter to show up and you're like, I'm here to help like you did with the, uh, the boat and, and uh, in Darfur. Pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know any, buddy i didn't know what else how else to really go about that i, I went to the uh marine recruiting recruiting office first because when i was over in uh when i was over in uh, the darfur I, I got malaria my last uh week there and this family took care of me and put a radio next to my bed and i was listening to the second battle of fallujah that was going on in 2004 oh, wow. And the Marines were the main effort there. So I thought, you know, I'll come home and be in, in, in the Marine Corps and came, came home with the recruiting office. Didn't, didn't, was just wasn't quite sold on it. Wasn't quite sure. Um, so then I ended up, uh, you know, instead going to the uh, army recruiting office after I found out about the 18 x-ray program and, and uh, where you could come in off the street and, you know, try and be in the special forces. So when I, when I discovered that, um, that's what I uh, decided to do. That's what I decided to uh, sign up for. And, and so I was an 18 x-ray and, and, you know, ended up making it through. Right. You know, my, my understanding is that a lot of those 18 x-ray kids, they basically end up in Ranger Battalion because they don't make it through uh, the whole Q course and, and everything else. Is that correct? Uh, I think more of them end up in the 82nd. Uh, oh, really? 
Uh, yeah, I think that's the most common. Yep. I mean, range of time, you have to did you you have to re you have to try. You you don't automatically get to go to you know the range battalion. You have to uh, yeah apply for that separately. Right. So um, a lot of them probably do end up eventually going that route, but you know, first stop is typically eighty second because it's right down the road from where um, all our training takes place, and you know they're both based out of Fort Bragg. Well, it makes sense. They they, they went to PCS, so they just drive them down the road and kick them out. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so what was like uh, the 18 X-ray program like for you? Uh, I mean, it was, it was, I, I, I really enjoyed it. You know, I mean, it was hard. It's one of the hardest things, not the hardest thing I've ever done, um, going through special forces training, but, um, yeah, I mean, once, once you get in, you mixed in with the rest, rest of the guys that were regular army, uh, that were already in and, uh, then we go through selection together and the Q course together. Uh, but it was, yeah, it was great. I mean, some of those, those friendships and bonds is the maintained and, and all the incredible training that, you know, received out there was, you can't match it. Right. Yeah. So what was it like working with, uh, with guys that they're already in? Because I'd imagine like there's going to be a certain level of, I don't know, like, uh, you like watch like Shawshank Redemption and Red's like, I'm an institutionalized man. I figure like you're coming from a very different background than most of the people that you're standing you know, shoulder to shoulder with in formation. Uh, there yeah. at all. So like, what was that like? I mean, there was challenges to some of it, but, uh, most of those guys were pretty awesome, you know, uh, right. to, to us. You know, there certainly were some that were, um, probably not thrilled about the 18 x-ray program and there's probably a lot of 18 x-rays that were a pain in the ass you know and we're <laughs> right uh, right yeah. uh pretty you know we're 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 new uh, to the army and we so we don't really understand how a lot of things work and and so that's probably frustrating for some of those folks as well so that you know there was ups and downs but you bring a different perspective as you said coming in especially being a little bit older like i was living a little bit of a different life, not joining right at 17, 18 years old. Right. Um, so I had a different, uh, I had some different experiences that I could bring to, you know, into that, that job and, and sort of a different outlook and, and a way of approaching things that I think that was valued by the military. Right. And I figured like, uh, somebody with your background probably actually like fit really well with, with, uh, those guys who are kind of like the, at least my perception of it, they, those are they're highly driven, highly motivated, but very kind of like atypical thinkers. They're not like inside the box uh, type folks. Is that right. a, a good assessment? Absolutely. Yeah. The, the special forces community is very different than the rest of the army. Uh, just generally, you know, we, we sort of look different, walk different, uh, talk different <laughs> right. um, and operate different, you know, a very independent first right. of all. I mean, it's, is 12 man teams and you're going out there to Iraq, Afghanistan, you're training, you know, sometimes hundreds of, uh, Iraqi and, and Afghan soldiers. And then you're, you're, you're sometimes living with them and, and, uh, you're fighting alongside them on missions. You know, it's, it's a very different experience. You kind of have to approach it differently, uh, for it to make sense to, to them too. And for you to be accepting of that. That sounds pretty exciting, actually. Um, so where do you go once you graduate the Q course? Like where where do you go from there? Um, I went to first group in Okinawa. I was in 
first battalion first special forces group the the first group is actually headquartered up there in washington it's that yep. of jblm but uh, I went to Okinawa with that battalion and then uh, eventually wound up in the 10th Special Forces Group in Colorado Springs. And that's where I deployed out of. Okay. So what was it like? Uh, because I've, it's always been explained to me that the different groups have very different cultures. Uh, and, and like, and I wish I could, I could rehearse for you the, uh, like all the different, like, kind of like, um, like, like, I know like fifth group is supposed to be like, like the super smart guys. Cause they get like some of the hardest languages. And so they, they naturally kind of have a more intellectual bent. Whereas like first group, uh, I remember they were always, uh, described as kind of like surfer dudes <laughs> that, that they would get things done. They're very atypical, uh, but very, very, very motivated. Is, is that like a good assessment? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's, and it's a very diverse group, you know, they, and as the whole military is, I mean, it's a very di- diverse group of people right. that come from all walks of life and, uh, but, you know, no different in the special forces. Like there's just uh, people from everywhere and, and you know, all over the world, really. And uh, and so they, and that's that that bit of individualism, I think, is valued because uh, we often dictate the mission, you know, and we have to. Uh, we've got to be self-starter, self-sufficient. Um, we've got to be the type of person you can hold accountable and, and give a great amount of responsibility to um, and understand that sometimes, you know, we, what, what's sort of delivered to you may not even be a clear end state, you know, of, right. of what is desired from the, you know, as far as the commander's intent, um, you have to discover that on your own, <laughs> not always, but sometimes. Uh, and, and, and so they, you know, there is a certain population of the military uh, that, uh, understandably, but that that doesn't really activate unless orders are given, you know. Right. And it's not quite like that in the special forces. It's a little more. Uh, there's a, there's a lot more of that. Uh, um, what's the word there? The uh, like, uh, you have a higher op tempo. You're always doing something. Yeah, I can't think of what the. I can't think of what. Obviously, we're not the smartest group. <laughs> um, I can't even think of the word, but uh, it, you know, when when you are, uh, it's it, it, the word is like uh, you know being a self starter. You're a uh, uh, what is that? Come on, help me out here. You got this. Uh, you have a lot of initiative. Initiative, yeah, that's close enough. That's close <laughs> that's, enough. that's not the word I'm word. thinking of, but that is close enough. Right. Yeah. They. Um, okay. So, like, so you're you're in tenth group, um, and then you deploy. Where do you deploy to? Uh, I went to Iraq. I went to Najaf, the Shiite holy city. Okay, cool. So yeah, our first yeah. Uh, first podcast that we did was with uh, uh, John Daly, who's with uh, Marsoc, and he ended up doing um, a lot of time in the job and actually wrote pretty extensively about it. And he's a big writer now. Um, and so, like, what was what, what was your mission set there? What, like, what were you doing? A mission set always in the special forces is, is unconventional warfare and foreign internal defense. You know, everything you do is by, with, and through indigenous forces. So we were, you know, training the uh, Iraqi uh, army, training some Iraqi special forces folks. We worked with police as well, stood up an Iraqi uh, SWAT team. And then we were going on missions with them every night and, you know, going after high value targets. That's that's pretty much the, the in a nutshell, uh, what, what a deployment looks like. And it's, day in day out like you're pretty busy right right so um what like what was that uh deployment like for you what like you for your highlights both good and bad um 
what was it like? Uh, I mean, it's like any deployment. They're they're all similar in some sense, I guess, at least from my experience. Uh, it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, it's long, you know. I mean, it's nine, ten months over okay. there. Uh, and you know, the uh, I mean, getting to do the job is the highlight. Getting to uh, getting to you know to 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 run missions and, and you know and go out there and try and make a difference, try and make an impact in the community, and uh, you know, see some of those Iraqi soldiers uh, develop, you know, and, and become um, become the the you know the war fighters that they they become, and, and watch that growth. I think mean, that's really that's 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 one of the highlights for me always. Right. Yeah. And I bet you that's a challenge because like, you know, they, y'all don't necessarily, I mean, you, you find a, a language to communicate via, but you're not fundamentally like, you know, they didn't grow up English speakers. You didn't grow up an, Air, you know, an Arabic speaker. So y'all had to figure out how to communicate, you know, a, it, even, even just knowing the language, there, there's like all these like cultural tropes that get like baked into that. So that's, that's a challenge I would imagine. And then um, just teaching somebody how to, how to fight and how to conduct themselves uh is a challenge even in the you know the u.s military uh so yeah with, that's with limited resources like very limited right. resources that's the greatest challenge of all and the word i was thinking of is proactive proactive you, you got to be proactive very right. proactive uh in, in the special forces versus like the rest of the army like you should be you should take initiative in certain ways you know but uh on certain things but oftentimes you know with, with different units it just depends on leadership and the job really but Right. People are are sort of expected to be a little less proactive and wait until orders are given before you, you know, make a move. Right. But right. Anyway. But whereas you guys are always like like anticipating the that you're going to get a, a call to go go here do do this thing or do that thing, and so you're constantly kind of trying to set the chessboard up for success before anybody ever actually picks up the phone and call you. Correct. Yeah. I mean, when you're deployed too, like you got to understand the battlefield space you're working on and what is needed and uh how can this military be most effective in this region and let's train them in that way you know if you're just doing general training with them and it's not translating to needs in their uh environment then what are you doing you know you're kind of wasting time um because there is only a limited amount of time and you know the idea is to make it make an effect make a desired effect sooner than later yeah that's that's an interesting aspect of it. I never really thought about that. Like, it's not just training, but training them for how they're going to fight. Because, like, you're not, not expecting the Iraqi army to deploy in the same way that the U.S. army deploys or to the same environments. Uh, so how, right. how do you go about, like, assessing that? Um, it, it just, uh, I mean, you, you have to spend time out there. Um, you got to meet with the key leaders in the in the region and talk about what is needed and you know what's been going on. And, and when I say key leaders, I'm talking about the you know, the Iraqis in this situation. Right. You got to go out on patrols and you got to go out on on those missions and kind of see what it, what it looks like. Uh, and then you also need to look at what you have access to resource wise and and, uh, and you know sort of develop. Uh, develop a plan based off of that, you know, um, and based off of what you think you can actually employ. Uh, right. And what'll be, and what'll be the most effective, but yeah, it's, it's all about, I mean, doing that assessment is kind of, you know, it's talking to people and it's getting out there yourself. This is very relationship based. I'm trying to figure out what can we do to help you? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, I found that 
quite probably not quite the same, but similar in the, the chaplaincy that a lot of times that um, I tell people all the time that you show up to a new unit, it's going to take you like, you know, like six months to just figure out how you can be effective because a lot of times they don't know, they don't know what you're capable of. They don't know how to use you and you don't know them yet. And so there's a kind of this like getting to know each other period to where you can start to try to f figure out, okay, okay well, uh, you know, like I see that we have this issue. I can be, va you know, a value added here. And let me try to like, you know, like, add value to the team so that way then whenever you need me that like you can come to me uh, so it sounds right. very similar right absolutely yeah so um you go to iraq you come back uh how do you end up in uh 19th group uh i mean i just joined the i joined the texas national guard when i went to college down in austin and okay. uh, uh 19th group you know i was already in the special forces so kind of made sense um, to sort of translate into that unit and uh um yeah i actually took a there's like a gap year there i had like a year out of the military um and then came back in in 11 uh into the guard but uh, yeah, yeah I, I actually a guy that my commander uh battalion commander down here or company commander i guess he was uh down in austin was a you know a guy a hold of me through another player on the on the team um, through a family friend and we just talked about it and said hey this is this would be an option if you're open to it and i was and so uh, and i ended up yeah being the move yeah so uh, that's that's really interesting to me because like like you get this pattern where um you're you just kind of like walk on to these situations and you're just like hey look yeah i'm, I'm here to work you know <laughs> again mm -hmm. uh, and they, they put you to work um right it, it kind of like follows that that you would uh you know kind of do one enlistment and, and get out and then kind of go on to the next thing and it seems to fit your kind of your personality what is it about the military that drew you back to it because that's the one thing that really kind of sticks out that's that, that, that that's different so. um what is it about the military that drew me back to it uh i i, I guess um I, I just miss the guys more than anything. I miss the camaraderie. I mean, I miss a lot of things, but that was the main thing. Yeah. Um, and still get, and, and you have the opportunity to go back overseas, you know, and I, I had a locker room in football and all that. So I did have some of that, but um, it's, it's a different type of community. Yeah. And I just, uh, I really miss, I miss deploying and I miss uh, getting after it. Right. Yeah. So it kind of like prep for this. I listened to a, another podcast that you were on, and you were saying that like a, you would do like a whole football season, and then when summer break rolled rolled in, like you were you were deploying, and then you'd come back exactly. and go right back into football season. Exactly. Yeah, and I and I liked I I liked having that uh, that tempo. You know, it was just I'm still trying to figure out how to slow down now at this point in my life, but because right. uh, I'm so used to it. But I'm I, I uh, yeah, I really I I just liked being busy and and having um yeah having having something else to sort of fight for uh, and then something else i was playing for and, and kind of jump from one to the other uh yeah. that was the balance the balance i created well it, so it's just like really like it's interesting and it's very timely because like uh you know the guards kind of go into this this whole what well, i was like going it's, it has gone through a transition from being like that strategic reserve where it really is just one week in a month, two weeks a year. And now it's, it's definitely a lot busier. Uh, and I've even seen it uh, in my time in the guard. That's that when I first got in, it was definitely a lot slower. And as the years go by, it seems to get busier and busier. And um, so the, there's always this narrative 
that like well op tempo hurts you know retention but it definitely doesn't seem like to to be so in your case that like the op tempo is why you joined like is, is that right exactly. may, there might be like a rollover period where it's like we're, we're not it's not necessarily we're looking for the same people as that we were before we're looking for people that are like you that that want to get after it that want the experience right That's yeah. absolutely yeah so um what how is uh working in the like the guard side of special forces how is that different than the uh the active side or is there a difference uh from the from the active side yeah i mean it is definitely different when you're deployed um it was in my case it was different because i didn't deploy with the national guard uh-huh. uh i did i i would i would go over there on my you know separately and be attached to a team over there uh, of active duty uh, soldiers so a little bit different when i was going back to afghanistan when i went to i, I did some uh you know uh, like partnered missions uh, partnered uh, training exercises with the uh, troops in uh the Greek SEALs and uh, the Bulgarian Special Forces with the Guard. So I would go over with a 12-man ODA uh, of National Guard uh, 19th groupers to, to on those missions. And it, it's pretty much the same once you're over there because a lot of those guys were prior active duty. Not all of them, but a lot of them were. Um, but even if they weren't and they're just, you know, guardsmen, um, they still went through the Q course. They have that same experience. A lot of them had deployed as well prior and so it was like uh it it didn't really feel that different it feels a little bit different i I guess because they're living uh sort of a normal uh civilian life most of the time back home and except for when they're with their guard group so um but once you're deployed it kind of feels the same right so it's an interesting uh dynamic do you see any difference in in the teams because like one of the things that like as we every team is different yeah yeah. how is how is it different I mean, every team's different, whether they're guard, active duty, like every team just has a different identity. It's really interesting. Um, right. Uh, and, and and different groups have different identity, you know, because a lot of part of that's the regions they serve in, the languages that they learn and the type of people that sort of gravitate towards the different groups. Because all the groups are defined by the language that you that you learn in special forces. If you're in first group, it's uh, mostly uh, Southeast Asia is, you know, their area of operation. So it's languages from that region. If you're in Tenth uh, group, it's it's more um, the you know Eastern Europe and and the, the stands and, and that area. So um, it's it's and once again a very different region. If you're in third group, it's Africa. Seventh group, South America. Fifth group, uh, the Middle East. Uh, so it, all that stuff kind of starts to dictate in a sense what the group is like, and then leadership, of course, and tradition and where they're based out of, and all these things. Uh, kind of start to lead to each each group to have their own identity and then that trickles down into each individual team right um, and so it's really interesting to see that dynamic yeah i, I bet i mean like and on top of that you're you're intentionally recruiting these outside the box type people uh to be in those environments so like, yeah i'd imagine those teams get pretty pretty colorful so. yeah absolutely yeah so um like so you you do your time time in the guard and then uh, you you get out and then decide like you know what uh, after having walked on uh, to you know, the University of Texas you decide like mm-hmm. you're, gonna, you're gonna go uh, walk on to the the Seahawks is that how that happened? Yeah, well, I mean, I got draft. I got a uh, uh, there's there's a draft which is going on right now actually, oh. um, the NFL draft, right? And 
I didn't get drafted, but I signed as an undrafted free agent. So you, you can't really try out for an NFL team. They have to recruit you. They have to sign you. You know what I mean? They have to ask you to join right. a team. Uh, so based on the merits of, of what you did in college and, and then, you know, they have things like pro day where you kind of show off some of your skills and be evaluated. I also got to play in a, the senior all-star game um, out in South Carolina, actually at the Citadel, which was really cool. Uh, it was the it was called the Medal of Honor Bowl, sponsored by the Medal of Honor Society, and it was some of the top uh, collegiate football players around the country um, that played in it. And we were we had scouts there every practice, kind of evaluate, evaluating us from different teams. And I met with uh, I believe four four different NFL teams when I was out there, and um, and then ended up uh, ended up uh, on draft, uh, the last day of the draft, I, I got a call from the St. Louis Rams and from the Seattle Seahawks asking me to sign as a free agent. And, uh, I chose to sign with the Seahawks because I, you know, they'd been to back-to-back Super Bowls. They were the best at the time. And it just, uh, it felt like it made the most sense for me and, and continuing the journey. So I went to Seattle and it was great. Wow. Yeah. So like, uh, what's it like uh, playing uh, on an NFL team? I mean, it's like nothing else. It's hard to describe, honestly. It's it's uh, especially when you're not that great of an athlete and you're older than everybody else in the locker room. It was a very different experience right. for me, but uh, I loved it. I mean, it was like a dream. You know, it felt like a dream when you're in there. Well, I remember showing up the first day at the facility there, and you know, seeing my name on the locker room and in the back of a jersey, and it's just surreal. Uh, and then I got to, I got to play in one game. Uh, in Seattle and that was unbelievable you know running out of the tunnel with the American flag and uh, that you know in that stadium and, and, and just fans going crazy and it's just like bizarre yeah. I'm warming up before the game at midfield Peyton Manning is warming up right next to me because he was playing for the Broncos who we were uh, facing that day and, um, right just yeah but out of body experience yeah well what a perspective man because like you, you like kind of start off this whole journey fishing on boats and then uh working in darfur and uh, getting malaria the next thing you know you're training you know these indigenous populations to help defend themselves and then you kind of come back to uh like what is really kind of like the apex of uh american opulence that's just like here's the nfl everybody's paid you know, hundreds of dollars for these seats to to watch you come play a game in this like extremely intense environment uh, that's just got to like really kind of shape your worldview in in some ways that I could hardly ima- imagine man yeah it, it was uh it was uh, it was it was very unreal <laughs> that whole experience <laughs> the back and forth but um but I guess not really unreal to me because it's, it's what I did and so it feels very normal uh but I, I understand from an outside perspective it, it seems kind of crazy you know, to do that but uh no i mean i just enjoy experiencing life and all that it has to offer and um those are two very extreme things but you know at the end of the day even if i wouldn't have made it just trying just putting the effort in and going after that goal was um what really mattered to me and what uh, you know i felt so passionate about and strongly about would get me up got me up in the morning and, yeah. get me excited you know we all need we all need something to, to shoot for we all need those goals and dreams um and, and that was mine yeah there's a there's another book I'll, I'll commend to you uh that that kind of covers that it's uh principles by ray dalio he's a big uh 
financial guru. And uh, he talks about that, that like he said, even after uh, his, his company Bridgewater Associates kind of became like the premier hedge fund for, for, you know, the world, he was like, that was kind of like almost, I don't want to say disappointment. I don't remember exactly how he describes it in the book, but essentially it's like, that wasn't as cool as the struggle to get there. That was the fun part. Um, and so like, kind of hear, hear what you're, you're saying is that the struggle to get to the NFL was really kind of the coolest part uh, of the NFL and getting there was just kind of like, well, this is it. But like, you know, the fight yeah. to get up there was actually like a lot, a, a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, people say all the time, you know, the journey, not the destination. It is true uh, to an extent, like, of course you want to succeed and, 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 uh, you know, see, see things come together as you go. But like, yeah, it's the, it's the spark of the idea and then the commitment to going after it that, that I always remember as like some of those happiest, uh, moments the moments I, I experience the most joy yeah uh, is you know when I'm like this is what I'm gonna do and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go all in on it and, and yeah it's it, it, that those are those are feelings that are hard to replicate yeah but it's just kind of like the like you know very few people well, I say everybody remembers the rocky montages more than the fights in rocky you know uh and I think yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah it's the same kind of thing well exactly. so Tell me what you're what you're up to now uh, with the MVP. Yeah, so MVP, you know, stands for Merging Vets and Players, and, and it's an organization I co-founded with Jay Glazer, and we bring together combat vets and former pro athletes and help them find purpose and identity when they lose a uniform. And we've got eight chapters around the country now, including one up in Seattle, um, and it's 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 been awesome to to see this thing grow. Uh, you know, it was just an idea that Jay brought to me in 2015. Um, because he noticed uh, a lot of these athletes struggling with that transition out of the military and, I mean, excuse me, out of, out of sports. And, uh, you know, and he, he noticed that once I was done with the military and, the, and now football, I was trying to figure out what was next. And I kind of needed that team. You know, we need that locker room like we had in both those worlds. And yeah. so that's all it was, uh, was about was just recreating that locker room. And, uh, and, and the people that built it, though, were the mostly the veterans, the veteran community. I mean, it started with a gentleman named Denver uh, out in Los Angeles, and now he lives in Dallas and stood up that chapter. Um, and then there's just there's there's people, uh, you know, in in Seattle, uh, vets and athletes uh, that helped build that chapter. You know, and we we they meet weekly up in all of our chapters. We meet on a weekly basis in the gym. We train for about. 30 to 45 minutes and then we huddle up afterwards and it's just a peer-to-peer coaching session uh we we you know we're, we're very vulnerable and open we talk about tough stuff we're dealing with and uh, making sure we got each other's back and um holding each other accountable for things and and just kind of building that community and, and friendships uh so that we we have people that we know get get us in a different way right but yeah it's super cool to see you guys doing that i'll, I'll tell you um the hardest some of our hardest periods in my life were, were that coming off of active duty and, and I had about a nine month break myself in service before I joined the guard. And uh, mm-hmm. a lot of the reasons why I went back to the guard was, was for the thing that you're talking about. It's just like, you know, like I need, you know, my team back, you know, I was kind of like kicked, right. off, kicked myself off the tribe, you know? Right. You know? Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so y'all, the way that y'all kind of facilitate that is uh, y'all, y'all get together do uh, some uh, some PT, you're working out, and then you kind of just like, you know, circle up and then just say, hey, look, what's going on in your life? And just kind of have that 
that real uh, vulnerable, uh, you know, like peer-to-peer conversation? Exactly. No, that's exactly what we do. And uh, yeah, everybody's got a different experience. Everybody's, you know, we've all been through different um, challenges in our lives and, uh, and, and, you know, what we kind of pride ourselves on is, uh, I guess leaning into that and, um, and, and, uh, like helping each other, those in the group that sort of are specifically ones that are going through something, you know, and, and, and are willing to share it. Like, how did you approach it given your, uh, different, uh, experience in life? You know, I did, if you experienced something similar, a, ch- a challenge, like what did you do to kind of get through that? Um, and, and, we share what we do share is you know that time in, in the military or that time on the on the sports field and, and those careers ending pretty young and you know feeling like you've often peaked in those things and like you'll never be that you'll never be great again because you do feel pretty great uh, accomplishing some of the things you get to accomplish in the military and on the sports field um and it's tough to leave that behind and lose that uniform that you identify with and you know that structure um so we have that all in common but we also have like I said earlier, we're a very diverse microcosm of the military and athletes. So <clears throat> leveraging that to, to help each other through uh, challenges is, is kind of what we uh, pride ourselves on. Would you have any like, like, like lessons learned or, or uh, like good advice for people that are, that are trying to manage that transition? Cause I don't know, like uh, I didn't get anything whenever I came off of active duty. Um, yeah. You know, it's just basically like, here's your ACAT classes, oh. see you later. And that was Yeah, it. I mean, the military does a great job of building uh, soldiers, you know, building uh, uh, war fighters and retaining them. That's the goal, you know. Right. Um, but w- once we, we leave, it, you know, that's not their specialty. And so we need groups like MVP. It's not just us. There's a lot of organizations that do that. But the number one I think, thing I, uh, I tell people and encourage people to do is just try stuff, man. Just like whatever you're interested, in. it doesn't matter how crazy it sounds. It doesn't matter that you know you may be 40 years old and never tried it once in your life. Just give it a go. Like, go check it out. It, it, you know, it, it, it's not going to hurt to try. Maybe you're into it. Maybe you're not. But if you are, um, you know, pursue it and see. I mean, there's a way. There's almost anything in this world you can make into a job these days. You know, right. um, so that, that maybe that's what you need to do as your occupation, or maybe it's just a a hobby or an outlet or whatever. I mean, there's, you know, there's people that have come to MVP that, uh, you know, I'd never, uh, I'd never um, sort of done anything, any other job outside of the military or, or, and think that, well, I, I I was in the infantry. So I, all I know how to do is, is to fight, you know, I don't know how to do anything else. And it's like, that's not true. You, You learn so many other skills and you know how to communicate in a different way. You know how to persevere through challenges um you, you know you 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 have a certain humility and approach to things that a lot of people don't have you have so many uh characteristics that are of value that a lot of the workforce in the world just doesn't have because they didn't get to experience what you did so understand that that is uh that's how the world works i mean you go to college for something um most jobs these days like even though you're learning about it in school and it's it's valuable experience once you get on the job, it's completely different. Like you got to start over and learn again, you know? So right, right. Uh, it's just like that coming out of the military. It's like you learn just like in college, you learn, um, you know, I, you, you learn how to make friends. You learn how to cram for a test and study and you learn how to, 
you know, prepare yourself and, and make a schedule and, you know, value your, your time and, and like balance. Like you learning those, that's the things that I actually learned in college. You know what I mean? Right. Much more than what's in that school book. And it's like the same thing in the military. Like, of course you're doing all this high level stuff and it's really important, but like you're learning how to be a man or a woman uh, that's going to be very valuable to society. And um, you, you have to recognize that. So when you get out, like you are, uh, you are absolutely of value. You're important. You're needed um, from a leadership standpoint too. And most employers know that and they see that, you know, you just got to believe it yourself. And, 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 you know, it's, it's pretty easy to kind of present yourself in that way and be able to um, uh, talk the talk because you actually have walked the walk. Right. Right. Well, Nate Moore, I can't think of a, a better way to end it. I would like to thank you for coming on. It's been super awesome hearing your story. Yes, sir. Oh, thanks for having me and, you know, appreciate what you're doing and thank you for your service and everything that, uh, um, that you stand for. And, you know, for, for people that want to learn more about MVP, I'll, I'll say, uh, you know, please go to uh, vetsandplayers.org. That's our website. Um, Merging Vets and Players is the organization's name and, and also go check out the movie. I mean, that was, it's, it's the first movie I directed. Um, and it tells our story of MVP. Um, and, you know, it's out there. It's on Amazon Prime. It's on Apple TV. It's on Showtime. Uh, go check it out uh, and, and learn how MVP really started, how this organization started and kind of get a, a sense of some of the stories and the people uh, that walk through our doors every day. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, it'd be important to us for everyone to, to check that out. And, um, I think it'd be of great value to those, you know, even those interested in joining the military or maybe pursuing a career in sports or something like that. So right, right. Give it a, give it a watch. Well, definitely we'll uh, put that uh, link in the show notes. So that way people can. Uh, Perfect. With you, man. I would love that. All right. Thank you. Well, thanks so much. Yes, sir. This has been the Raven Report Podcast, the official podcast of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team. If you're interested in seeing if you have what it takes to join our team, go to our Instagram and click the link in the bio. Click the join link and connect with us. 